Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this, this is From Checker to Green, the podcast all about racing as told by two lifelong race fans and from time to time talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome to episode 38. I am David Moy. Alongside me is my colleague, Elliot Tardis. Elliot, good evening. Good evening, sir. How are things up in central New York there? Oh, things are going well. Are, are well. Summer's coming it, coming to fruition. We're getting in Memorial Day weekend. Um, plans changing up this year. I mean, you've probably heard it from my podcast from time, you know, you know, through our previous episodes when, you know, I love using my smoker and normally around the 4th of July, I do um, pull pork. Well, I'm kind of going to be out of town, you know, you know, beforehand and I'll be getting back from a, a vacation. So I decided um, how about Memorial Day weekend to do some pulled pork? So picked up the pork butt, pork butt today, about 18 pounds over at the local Costco. Yes, I just did a shameless plug for Costco. So yeah, I am ready and I am looking forward to it and uh, bring on the, the greatest weekend in racing coming up. Yes, sir. How are you, Elliot? I am doing well. Um, we are experiencing the uh, the bliss of um, my son's molders coming in. Uh, he's getting to be about that that age now. He's going on uh, two years, and uh, so we're uh, experiencing that along with him. Uh, and it, you know, it's not too much of a you know, it can't be difficult for us, but at the same time, I know why it's because, you know, he's not comfortable. So, um, and the, the weather down here really isn't helping much either. We're getting into summer in earnest here in the Carolinas. Uh, today we actually set some new records, uh, had high temperatures up in the mid nineties. So it's, it's getting with it down here. Um, but other than that, we're doing great. Um, getting ready for baby number two here soon. And, um, the, uh, you know, got the house right. So looking forward to it. Ah, great to hear. And, you know, I, I do also say, I love also enjoying the, the, the nice summer evenings. And I will say, Elliot, before we talk about racing, did you get to see the lunar eclipse? I did. Um, I got to see the first part of it and it was really, really cool. Uh, we didn't have any clouds here. And so um, uh, I had to go to bed not long afterwards, but um, you could see the, you know, it was about the first quarter of the moon. It had pretty much disappeared. Um, and so that was, that was a really cool sight. I got, I got to see her and I took pictures. And I went to bed probably around midnight, uh, right before the peak. And I had, I have some nice pictures on my camera um, you know, far away, I, you know, I only have a 300, um, millimeter lens on there. So camera talk, you know, I don't have those, you know, you know, bigger lenses. Like if you were going to do bird watching or that, um, or, uh, so 
it's really cool getting the nice red look into it um yeah loved it so so let's talk about i know it's been a while we, we we've been on a little hiatus you know what you know as we've mentioned life does bring things to us so um now that my daughter's dance competition season has wrapped up so we're back in the swing of things. We got the month of May. Let's get into it, Elliot, and let's kick it off with some open wheel racing. Let's do it. Um, so um, since we've last recorded, we've had two Formula One events, uh, the first in Imola, Italy, and the other one, the inaugural Miami Grand Prix, the crypto.com Miami Grand Prix um, in Miami, Florida. So uh, let's first talk about Imola and what happened there. Um, David, it was a really good day for Red Bull. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were, we were wondering, I mean, so far leading up to this, it's been either Ferrari and Red Bull, and it was Red Bull. Um, Ferrari, again, having trouble at their home track. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was tough. Um, Carlos Sainz um, crashing early on, um, you know, and then yeah, that first lap was a real mess there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Sainz, and then uh, Schumacher got into Alonso and, and yeah. knocked his whole side all to heck. Yeah, um, and he had to retire not long after. So yeah, it was it was a real mess. It um, was all the way around. But yeah, Ferrari, but, it just was not a especially for Sainz, not a good weekend for him. Yeah. And then, so in this, in this, we take a look, and it was Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez winning it. Lando Norris got the last spot on the podium for McLaren. George Russell finished fourth. Um, fifth was Valtteri Bottas. Other nobles, Lewis Hamilton was 13th, one lap down. Kevin Magnussen was ninth. Uh, Pierre Gasly was 12, and after that, it actually closed up the points because of it. Uh, Charles Leclerc still holding his points lead with um, 86 points, but that was Max Verstappen Max second. He was only 27 out in Imola. So looking at this, I mean, Elliot, it, it you know, I, I saw the highlights, but man, I mean, it, it was rain tires. So we, we, we do know that, that, you know, some of these races in Italy, you know, in, in rain tires can, you know, plague you with the rain. And if it goes away, if it's going to come back, you know, do you switch to intermediates? Do you go on the rain? Do you go on the, you know, on the slicks? I mean, it was just, you know, it was just an amazing race that week that in Imola. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, we've talked about kind of the um, we've talked about the Red Bull cars being fast, but thus mm -hmm. far not really being very reliable. Um, and you know, they showed that not only did they have the speed here, but they had the reliability to to make it through the race, make it through a tough race. Um, as you pointed out, with all manners of different track conditions and, you know, bringing home one, two, you know, it's a big thing yeah. for the manufacturers. And then, you know, you mentioned Leclerc finished sixth. Um, and that was, uh, according to Racing Reference, that was a 19 point delta 
between him and Verstappen. So, uh, yes. you know, it's a, a big day in the points for sure. Um, so now let's move ahead to uh, the Miami Grand Prix. There was a lot of hype around this race. Um, it was a lot of media attention being paid to it. A lot of um, uh, TV appearances, late night appearances. Um, it was uh, you know, a really, really big deal. Um, and when they got to the race itself, uh, I know there were some uh, uh, concerns voiced about the, the track itself, whether or not it was going to be very racy. Um, and once we got into the, the race, uh, there was a, a familiar figure at the top of the podium, um, but a little bit of a change from uh, the week before uh, in terms of who rounded out the rest of the podium and a change also in um, how Mercedes did. So uh, David, tell us more about that. Yeah, Miami, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, Will Smith said, welcome to Miami. So we've got, you know, we've got racing going on in Miami, the inaugural Miami Grand Prix, you know, all the hype built up with this. Um, actually, one of my friends um, from what I knew was going down to Miami for this. I don't know if he, if he actually did. I didn't see any pictures of that. So I don't know if he did or if he didn't, but I knew someone going but yeah, it was, it was a great race. Um, and the streak of how we always said, you know, Charles Leclerc, when he starts a race from the pole, he wins. He was four for four. Well, that just got broken. He's now going to be four for five because um, Max Verstappen and Red Bull is starting to make a charge. Max Verstappen wins it. Corning Racing Reference, he leads 48 laps. Charles Leclerc was second. Um, Verstappen actually um, took the lead on a great pass, got the DRS, got by um, Leclerc on the front stretch going to one on lap, um, or on lap nine or on lap eight. And then um, Corn Race Reference Sands led some laps as well from 27. And then Verstappen took back over. That was probably more pit stops than anything. But then, um, so Max Verstappen wins it. Now Ferrari is second and third on the podium with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Sergio Perez is fourth. Um, George Russell, fifth, Lewis Hamilton, sixth. Um, and then the other Red Bull, Sergio Perez, yeah, Perez was fourth, Russell, fifth, Hamilton, sixth, Baez, seventh, Akon, eighth, Elbon, ninth, Stroll, tenth. That was your top ten. Sonoda was twelfth. Um, Gasly retired because of suspension. Vettel was uh, finished 17th. He crashed. Uh, Norris had crashed. Um, it was just, um, you know, it, it was some good racing there. And, and again, seeing everything, watching Miami, you know, prime time in the U.S., 3.30. That, I mean, most of these races, when you're in the U.S. and you're watching them, they're earlier in the morning. This was a nice afternoon race, and it was good. It was a really good race. It was a fun race. 
Um, no big incidents, no complaints from what I had heard. I don't know if you had heard any complaints, Elliot, but it looked good. It looked like there was a good, healthy crowd there. Yeah, there was a, a huge turnout for this race. Um, I think I saw that uh, ticket prices um, on the secondary market were, I think, the highest they they said they'd ever seen. So um, it was um, uh, there was certainly a really, really healthy interest in this race um yeah and word is there might be some changes to the racetrack design for next year um just because they said they're um the design of it really wasn't conducive for passing i think this year so um, yeah i did i did notice that in the highlights and, and there were some incidents with passing um we do um you know there there, there were definitely some incidents in pat you know in passing um you know, it definitely, you know, you know, they redesign it. it. It'll be definitely great with the street core, you know, with the street course. That's the nice thing is you can always redesign them. You know, yeah. if you want to make them, make it, you know, play with it. And, you know, you just keep doing it. As long as you keep getting the big crowds, that, that'll be great for them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it definitely is probably going to be on the calendar next year. We know we got Vegas coming up next year as well. So we'll, we'll you know, and, and we got Coda here. So we'll, we'll see how the design comes out, what the changes will be. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the feedback I've heard is that was good. And, and from what I've heard, it, it, it was a good, good good feedback so far so kudos to um you know miami kudos to to formula one to get a good race going and get the turnout and build the hype up for this so yeah definitely yep. great this year yep and you know here again um it's a wide open fight between red bull and ferrari yeah um not only 19. for yeah, nineteen points and, now. Yeah, yeah, going into Spain. Yeah, so and then yeah. Monaco. Yeah, which Leclerc hasn't even finished a Monaco race. Nope. So and then he, he took uh, Nicky Lauda's uh, vintage car out for a spin and uh, did just that. Um, I guess he had a brake failure or something. There was a brake failure on the car, and uh, he backed it he's, into the, the Armco. So. He's, that he needs to stay out of that car because I thought he I thought he crashed that last year too. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, he needs to. <laughs> he needs ahead. to. Yeah, he needs a lucky a lucky charm or something. Somebody needs to give him a horseshoe or something before he goes back to Monaco. But yeah, um, in the meantime, let's uh, let's switch gears and let's talk IndyCar. Now there were a couple of IndyCar races here that um, have happened here in, in recent weeks. Uh, the first of which was the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama at Barber Motorsports Park. Um, and this was a really entertaining race. Uh, not a lot of attrition. Everybody was running at the end of it um, with um, Tatiana Calderon uh, finishing at the back of the field, but only two laps down. Um, so it goes to show just how competitive this, this race was. There were 21 cars of the 26 still running on the lead lap at the end of this thing. Um, so David, why don't you tell us about um, uh, the, the top finishers here and um, how that, uh, how it was shaping up for the, uh, the championship battle too. 
Yeah, I mean, Pato Award winning it. And I almost saw at the end, um, I thought this was going to be a race that Renus VK was going to win. Um, you know, he had led, I mean, Renus VK had led um, a good, you know, almost, I mean, yeah, 47 laps, 47 of the 90 laps. So about half the race you know, Renus VK led and he was in position, but it was pit strategy that day. It was either two or three stops and it's, that's what got him. It's just pit strategy. And, you know, Barbara puts on a great performance, but yeah, it was Pedo award. His strategy payoff one. Alex Pillow was second. Renus VK was third. Will Power fourth, Scott Dixon fifth, Scott McLaughlin sixth, um, eight New Zealand, Australia, um, you know, four, fifth, six. So good, re- good representation there nationally. Um, other Norables, Graham Murray Hall eighth, Alexander Rossi was ninth, um, uh, Takuma Sato 13th, um, Devlin DeFrancesco 17th. Um, Jimmy Johnson was 24th, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, you know, um, Polo has, you know, at this point vaulted into the lead, going back to defend his, um, his title. He's back in the lead. Ganassi back on top, only three points ahead, you know, going, you know, before the Indy Grand Prix race, but yeah, uh, Polo, McLaughlin, Newgarn, Willpower, and Pato Award, all within, um, you know, 30 points of each other, and then you actually got Dixon and Renus VK um, within, you know, essentially 40 points of each other, and with, um, you know, with the month of May, um, Indy Grand Prix, but the Indy 500 carries double points. So, I'll put we'll talk about the 500 in our spotlight. But yeah, award, great job winning that race. I watched that race and from start to finish, and yeah, McLaren Arrow McLaren had a really good good day, and um, Ganassi too, and. So did VK. Yep. Uh, one thing I noted out of that race was um, looked like a little bit of a rivalry developing between Romain Grosjean and Graham Rahal. They had some contact oh, late yeah. in the race. And um, Rahal. Graham had in, some words. He did. Um, and so it, it, it'll be interesting. You know, it, um, and there's some parallels um, in the way both drivers handled it to another race that we're going to talk about in just a minute. Um but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how those two uh, race each other and um, how or if the sanctioning body ever steps in um, in the coming races. So it'll certainly be interesting yeah. to find out. It, but it, 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 it will be very interesting. I know that, I mean, that was, um, you know, and, and, and it did get pointed out a little in this is that they, you know, they did talk about, you know, because I was reading some articles and, and hearing some things about it. And, you know, you remember, Grosjean does come from that Formula One background. So he he will run 
you know, I, and I think that that's the, the that's the thing with Grosjean is sometimes he has to think about what he has to what he has to run and how he has to run. Sometimes it's a little different in IndyCar. So, yeah, I you know we'll, we'll see how that comes and we'll see how that plays out this yeah. season. But Barber, they always put a great race on there. So. They do. Um, and uh, the Indy Grand Prix was uh, a great race too, but at the end of the day, it was one driver that dominated. And not only that, but um, not only did he get max points, but also some style points too um, at one point during the race. So um, Dave, why don't you tell us who, um, uh, who was the, the, the big driver on, on campus on this one and um, or the, uh, who the dominant driver of the day was and um, some of the other storylines came out of this race. Yeah. Colton Herda. I mean, where, I mean, yeah, he definitely had some style points, especially coming out of the pit. <laughs> um, to, he, you know, the way he got the lead, the way he took, um, you know, the, the way he took the lead late, um, when he took the lead from pedal award on, on, um, lap 66 and when you know Ward came out of the pits and he just got right by him um, you know Herder had some good driving and actually at one point he Tokyo drifted that car he did he I, and, and he didn't lose it nope it, nope. it was like full lock counter sear it, <laughs> it was like it was like you know you how it's happened in NASCAR, mm -hmm. where one car loses it and then kind of corrects it and holds on, gets that little wiggle. It was like that. Yep. He did. I, yeah. And he won. Now we have some windscreen issue. We so far we have not had any issues with the windscreen. It happened now because of the heavy rains that came through at Indy. Um, they, they pushed the race up. They moved it up. Um, because of the weather, weather still played an issue. It played an effect in the Indy Lights race. Um, and there were some windscreen issues, especially near the end. Um, a couple cars got... One a car, um, someone rear-ended somebody at the end. I can't think of the name, but right at the checker day, um, rear-ended somebody. Um, I thought it was Kellum Eilat, but I can't remember who or no, oh no, it was Christian Lungard rear-ended. Um, and I think it was Eilat, mm -hmm. but that was because of the weather. Um, yeah. so they they did have some windscreen issues, but Herta won it. Simon Paginot, you know, he's always been great at Indy. Um, finished second. Will Powell finished third. Erickson fourth. Connor Daly fifth. Felix Rosenquist sixth. Scott Dixon was tenth. Um, Roman Grosjean seventeenth, right behind Graham Rahal. Surprise, surprise. Um, Tatiana Calderon actually had a great race. She finished 15th. Yep. Um, after starting, yeah, and after starting 25th, yep. Um, 
you know, and you know, hey, AJ Foyt knows how knew how knows how to get around Indy, so uh, mm-hmm. he he's proud of that. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was twenty second. Uh, JPM Juan Pablo Montoya was twenty fourth. Um, Delton Kellett uh, finished twenty seventh. Uh, Montoya had crash, Cal Kirkwood had crash, and Delton Kellett had crash. So there were a lot of cautions. Um, the race was rain shortened because of it. It was the final accident um, when Montoya had crashed. Um, and that was coming, that was turn 12. Um, he had just, the rain had, he had just lost it and that was kind of when race control decided a few laps under caution at lap 74, they kind of said, yeah, we're done. So, um, yeah, um, rain did play effect. We'll, we'll have to see what they decide on how they tweak the arrow screen. I had heard, I had heard supposed rumor that maybe, um, Maybe they were going to do um, maybe look into like a windshield wiper like um, IMSA does um, with, with their cars, with the sports car racing. So look for next year, maybe some changes to the, the windscreen coming up um, or the arrow screen. But with that said, if you look at the points right now, um, the point shifted again. Will Paro took the lead. He's now 14 ahead of Alex Pillow. Scott McLaughlin is 18 back in third. Newgarden 30 back in fourth. Scott Dixon 37 back in fifth. And Colton Herta in sixth, 38 back according to Racing Reference. And like I said, we always got our results from RacingReference.info. And and this is going. This is very very interesting because Indy's going to be double points. So a guy like Pedro Ward, Erickson, Grosjean, VK, even a pageant Simon Pageant or Graham Rayal, who are like more than forty points back. If one of the top guys has a really bad day and finishes dead last or near the end, and they go on to win it, double the points means they may be back in the hunt. Look for the standings to jumble um, and and go through a shuffle after Indy. Mm -hmm. So with that said, Elliot, why don't we talk about some NASCAR racing? Let's do it. Uh, First race that uh, we're going to get into was uh, the event at Talladega, uh, the Geico 500. Uh, this was a typically frenetic race. Um, had a, a couple of multi-car wrecks. One in kind of at, a, at kind of an unusual time um, on a restart when um, all the cars were getting going, and uh, Joey Logano um, found himself pinched between a couple of cars and uh, just got picked up and uh, pushed to the right and into the wall, and that. Uh, set off a, a pretty big wreck and uh, wiped out a, a fair number of cars. Um, and um, this particular um, uh, car, as we saw at Daytona, does really well. Um, and, you know, once it came down to the end of the race, 
Um, it was a really frenetic event. Um, and Eric Jones, the 43 car, I thought put on the drive of his life um, to get to the lead and hold on to the lead. Uh, there were so many times in the closing laps where um, he was being pushed sideways. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about how the Fords can kind of link up um, better than the Chevys or the Toyotas can. And that definitely uh, was, was apparent uh, in the closing stages of, the, of this race. But Eric Jones held on for everything that he was worth and was leading at the white flag. Um, he just happened to get caught out um, coming off a of turn four um, to the checkers. And uh, Kyle Larson jumped outside of him. And Kurt Busch jumped outside of Larson um, and got sent into the fence, came down and hooked the 23 of Bubba Wallace, who himself was heading for, I believe, a top 10 run um, and sent him hard into the wall as well. And who came out of the, the chaos was Ross Chastain riding the bottom, riding the yellow line and rode it to victory. And so Watermelon Man got... Um, victory number two, and right behind him was Austin Dillon, um, and then Kyle Busch, Larson, Truex rounded out the top five. Eric Jones got a sixth-place finish for his efforts. Uh, Chase Elliott, McDowell, Bowman, and Harvick were your top ten. Um, David, your thoughts on Talladega? Trackhouse? <laughs> wow. Chastain, yet you win at Coda, you win at Talladega. Probably the probably two of the most grueling tracks, you know that that NASCAR runs at, and yeah. he's and he won, and mm -hmm. he you know yeah you know, watermelon man, yes, yeah, smash the watermelon. Um, I you know you know how I I've got a suggestion so um. If anyone from Trackhouse Racing is listening to this, you know how in World War II or, or these fighter jets or these pilots, um, they put markers on their planes for every kill they, they make. Um, well, maybe Ross Chastain, instead of giving, giving him the, the winner sticker, uh, you know, they give them the winner sticker to put on the car. Maybe they need a smash watermelon sticker to stick on the car every time he wins. Um, but Maybe. yeah, it, at least he, at least he, you know, didn't have watermelon on his face again. <laughs> there you go. And maybe the uh, the Gallagher uh, sledgematic or something, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You, you, oh man, yeah. yeah. But great racing. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for Bubba Wallace. You know, he he's trying to you know win that, and, and Eric Jones. Um, you yep. know, guys capable of um, getting into the the playoffs, and and again. With this car, it's it's amazing. With this car, it's almost like anyone can go out there and, and do well. Yep. And I forget too if, if it was this car, but um, or this this race, but um, I think they said that um, Chastain ran this car at I think a road course or something before, yeah. and would turn around and run in a Talladega and yeah. win the race. Yeah, so. I, I I think this was this was a was it a 
was it the Coda car? I'm not sure. Uh, it might or it, it, it was, yeah. Yeah. It, it, oh, no, it was. It was the Coda car. And yep. they, they took it to, so so it's amazing. I mean, we, we talked about in, in previous podcasts, you know, teams being concerned about shortages and, you know, not having enough cars because of parts and everything. And look what teams are doing. Some teams are saying, hey, you know, this road course car, maybe we could use it for a super speedway. You know, it's easily convertible, which actually might play into teams' hands now to yep. say, like these more multi-car teams to say, hey, let's experiment. You know, let, let's talk, you know, Daytona. We're getting ready to, you know, we we need to win to get into the chase. You know, let's go try, let's say, hey, we're going to try to put your road course car or say, hey, let's convert the short track car. Let's see what happens. You know, let, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what, what comes out of that. It's a very interesting strategy too, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and looking ahead now to, to uh, the next race at Dover, the Duramax Driding 400, um, you had a lot of the same players um, that were up front and contending for the lead at the end of the race. Um, Chastain backed up his um, win the previous week at Talladega with a very strong run uh, during the course of this race, um, fighting it out with the leaders um, all the way to the very end of the race and uh, actually making some late contact with Martin Truex Jr. on the last lap fighting for third place. Chastain came away from it in third. Um, Truex came away from it in the the inside backstretch wall, um, which precipitated a, a, an animated discussion afterwards and Chastain saying uh, they were just uh, figuring out where the good fishing holes were. So, um, but at the end of the day, it was Chase Elliott um, that uh, had the right car at the right time and passed um, Chastain for the lead with um, 52 laps to go, according to racing reference. Um, and held on uh, to the end of the race and uh, took home the checkers ahead of Ricky Stenhouse Jr., the 47 car for JTG Doherty Racing, um, with their best finish of the season. Uh, and then Chastain, Christopher Bell, uh, rebounding from a tough day at Talladega to finish fourth. And Alex Bowman, again, um, being there at the end, finishing fifth. Kyle Larson was sixth, Kyle Busch seventh. And then it was Busher, Harvick, and Eric Jones following up his top 10 at Talladega with another top 10 at Dover. Um, and then uh, jumping ahead to Darlington, just because of time here, um, it was the it was throwback weekend, the Goodyear 400. And it was um, a spirited battle all the way to the end. Uh, this um, And this track too tough to tame, and especially with this uh, generation of race car, certainly proved it. Um, there was uh, there were a lot of uh, a lot of wrecks, a lot of attrition. Uh, there were just twenty three cars running at the end of this race, and um, uh, 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 certainly a, a, a really tough day. Um, uh, Kyle Busch uh, getting himself in a little bit of trouble, uh, getting caught up in a wreck with Brad Keselowski and uh, taking it to the garage, but um, 
parking it at the garage entrance and uh, letting the tow truck operator take it the rest of the way into the garage, uh, perhaps calling to mind what happened to him at this race last year um, when he got uh, in a, a wreck then. And um, uh, some said, including us on, on, this, uh, on this program, that he was a little bit too aggressive uh, getting into the, the pits. And indeed that drew a fine. Uh, for his actions that day. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it was Joey Logano and William Byron fighting it out for the win. Um, and uh, those two had made some contact on a late restart. Uh, Joey Logano uh, got pushed up and in, into the fence, scrubbed the wall off of turn two, um, which he didn't take kindly to. And um, when he got back to William Byron's bumper, coming to the white flag, um, he really didn't waste much time with him. Uh, gave him the bumper going into turn three, um, and William Byron wasn't able to save it and got up into the wall and fell back uh, precipitously in the last lap, uh, falling down the running order to finish 13th at the end of the day. Um, and it was Joey Logano um, in the number 22 car for Team Penske um, scoring the win and Team Penske's second win of the year after Austin Sendrick's Daytona 500 win, Tyler Reddick finished second in the number eight car, Justin Haley with his best finish of the season, um, third place for Colleg Racing, Kevin Harvick finished fourth, Chase Elliott was fifth, and then it was Bell, Michael McDowell in the number 34 car, finishing seventh, Stenhouse finishing up uh, following up his strong run at Dover with an eighth place finish at Darlington, Austin Dillon finished ninth and Daniel Suarez in the other track house racing entry finished in 10th. Ross Chastain uh, finished 30th after a crash. Um, and I believe uh, fighting for the lead uh, on a, uh, a restart uh, came off a turn two on the inside. I believe it was Denny Hamlin. Um, and the car got away from him. And, uh, just as we saw with, uh, with Jimmy Johnson a couple of years ago, um, once that car makes that hard left turn towards the inside wall, there's not a lot you can do. Um, so that was the end of his day finishing in 30th. David, your thoughts on Dover and Darlington. Well, I gotta say, I mean, with, with Dover, amazing for Chase Elliott, Hendrick, the first team to get all four drivers into the playoff chase, into the chase for or or the playoffs, and they did it before halfway through the regular season. So unbelievable that you know Elliot got got win at Dover, which was great. Um, I had listened to the race. I was working. I had listened to the race on Sirius XM throughout the day, um, and he was, um, you know. He, he, he did well, um, you know, really good job with that. Now I, um, now fast forward to Darlington. I am miffed that I, I, I think that was a dirty hit that Logano did. Um, and he has, and this isn't the first time he's done this before I met Kenseth and what it led to. So, um, you know, Joey Logano, has a target on his back again. Um, I mean, he and did it, too. it. Yeah, 
I mean, Truex, you know, yes, he, he does. Um, but I, I think Logano, I think the, the feedback, I, and I don't think it's going to be Byron that does it. Um, you know, Byron's, you know, I was listening to Dale Jr. Uh, download and Byron is, is pretty smart. Um, he, he knows he doesn't want to do that type of stuff. So I think what, I, I, I think the, what Logano's got to really watch out for is someone doing it to him because he set that example. Um, and it happening at a race in the playoffs, you know, I, I could see somebody, I mean, I could see if those two are racing at Barnesville, Byron and, and Logano, um, I could see Byron using the chrome horn and turn three on him on the final lap. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think you're going to see, um, uh, you know, any sort of manufactured uh, payback on Logano, especially anytime soon. Let's, let's not forget, um, you know, as you pointed out, David, um, Byron is a, a generally a pretty cool customer um, mm-hmm. and, you know, that he was as, as upset as he was after this race was notable unto itself. Um, but anytime that he's tried to you know, pay somebody back in the past. And I'm thinking of Watkins Glen a few years ago where Chad Canal said, if you don't hit him under caution uh, before you come back around to the start finish, we're going to have a problem. And so he did, but uh, Kyle Busch saw that coming and uh, William Byron ended up with a a busted radiator for his troubles. So Mm -hmm. um, he knows, I think, well enough to um, just kind of let things take care of themselves um, and also let's not forget too, that he has, he's part of an organization at Hendrick Motorsports that kind of looks out for each other. Um, and I'm reminded of what happened at the night race at Bristol last year between Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott, and then Chase Elliott going out there and disrupting, uh, Kevin Harvick's race and allowing, um, Elliott's teammate, Kyle Larson to win the race. Um, so, you know, to your point there, you know, is it possible there could be some, um, you know, intra-team uh, efforts, certainly. Um, you know, certainly, you know, Logano hasn't done himself very many favors with a lot of racers um, mm-hmm. over the years. So it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see what the, um, what the response is in this case. But, um, you know, one other notable difference this time, and you brought this up too about uh, Kenseth, was um, you don't have uh, the CEO of NASCAR going on um, ESPN or any other media and cheerleading, um, you know, a, a controversial move uh, that Legato yeah. made. So there is that too. Um, I think the sanctioning body is quite content just to step back and let this uh, see how this plays out. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. And, and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see where it goes, where it falls. But yeah, Logano kind of isn't, you know, Logano's done this before. Um, now it will, you know, yep. 
a championship with it a championship with it in in 2018 yeah Um, after doing that with uh with truex and truex famously saying he's not going to win the war well he did yeah so there you go and 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 it's and it yeah because he did it with kenseth and look what kenseth did to him and so he he does have a habit of doing this eventually and, and eventually if he keeps doing it you know, there's enough ta- young talent coming around that Penske can say, yeah, time for, I actually remember it's, um, Cindric is the, you know, well, Cindric has the runs, reins of the IndyCar team. I'm not sure who's, who's, um, taking over for the NASCAR team. I, I'm not sure if Roger still has a hand in that anymore, because of his IndyCar duties and, and owning IMS and having to, to focus on that. But yeah, I mean, eventually at some point contracts come up and if they've someone, they feel someone's a little bit better, Logano would be on the chopping block. For sure. So it'll be interesting to see, but um uh, briefly moving ahead now, and then uh, we're going to take a break. Um, but we've talked about, you know, youth versus um, experience. And uh, in the most recent race that uh, that happened was at Kansas. Um, it was one of the old timers, Kurt Busch, um, in a car uh, adorned with the Jordan brand. Um, although to me, it had some definite uh, recollections of the famous Grey Ghost that Buddy Baker ran in the early 1980s. And uh, he, the car drove like it too. Um, it was the dominant car of the day leading 116 laps according to Racing Reference. And um, Kurt Busch got a little bit behind uh, late. Um, I think he uh, um, uh, came out on a restart uh, fourth or fifth or something like that um, and quickly um, got himself up into the top three, um, and Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson were ahead of him. Both were running uh, the top line, which was kind of the preferred groove, especially late in the race. Um, and Bush had a car that was able to start at the top and then cut down to the bottom and get some of that clean air, and he was able to, to get a run-up off the corner, and that was what helped him uh, get by first Kyle Busch, who actually kind of laid over and let him go, um, but then Kyle Larson as well um, in the closing laps. And from there, Kurt Busch set sail, took the checkers ahead of uh, Larson, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin um, after a really, really tough stretch of races, um, finished fourth and his car, the 2311 car of Kurt Busch, uh, brought it home to victory lane. Christopher Bell finished fifth after starting on the pole. Truex um, had uh, a great day as well, finishing sixth. Chastain was seventh. Stenhouse Jr., again, another top 10 for him. Uh, Bowman and Bubba Wallace overcoming a number of pit road issues to finish 10th on the day. Uh, David, your thoughts briefly on Kansas. I got to say, Kurt Busch does what he does when he comes to a new team and he knows how to elevate that team. And that's what he does. Um, and, and that was a great win. It wasn't when he was going to, it, it wasn't, you know, the question, you know, 
people said it wasn't going to be if he was going to win, it was going to be when was he going to win with 23XI and, and, and 2311. And, and, that, and that was good. That was really good. Um, I read a very heartfelt story of how they, how Danny Hamlin had to ask Ad, um, Kyle Petty and Kyle Petty had talked to his kids about giving that number up, number 45, because that was Ampey. So they were related. Danny Hamlin called them, um, you know, you know, called the Petties about it and, you know, talked to them after the win and yeah, very great representation, you know, of, you know, of Kurt Busch and w- what a great job. And man, Michael Jordan, I know, has rings in, in basketball. Could it be this year he finally gets a championship ring in NASCAR? We'll see. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see. Um, but uh, uh, that's all for, uh, for the checkers for now. Um, on the other side, we're going to talk about uh, the Indy 500, everything that's happened to this point, and um, uh, taking an early look at who some of our favorites are um, to drink the milk in Victory Lane. All that on the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Do you want a topic covered or a guest we should have in a future episode? Well, you can drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Gmail at ckrd2grn at gmail.com. Your feedback drives our content for future episodes. If you like the episode you are listening to, then you can listen to previous episodes at podcast.com. Apple Podcasts, and coming soon to Google Play Music. We thank you for your listenership. And now back from the Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, David. Our spotlight segment this episode focuses on the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indy 500. Um, we're getting to the point now where um, the, the track is open, cars are starting to practice, and we're starting to see um, who some of the fast drivers are um, and some other notable things about um, the, the track and the cars uh, thus far in the run-up to the Indy 500. So, David, let's talk about it. Um, what are the, the, the big news items uh, to come out of practice thus far? Well, so far, I mean, practice came out and they started on a Tuesday uh may 17th um it was split up it was oval veterans had a couple hours in practice one and then we had a a second practice later that day which was all cars um with a the first two hours being dedicated to um stefan wilson doing his refresher program because he couldn't do that in april because the team just came together to be the 33rd entry for this race. So Scott Dixon was the fastest, you know, it was more of a kind of a, you know, get to know you session in the morning with with the track 227, 119 was the fastest with Dixon. 
Um, and the slowest was Takuma Sato at 212-142. You could get the gap in, in the speed to understand that. And this is on IndyCar.com. Then practice session two, speeds quicked up, uh, crept a little bit more. Uh, Dixon was on top at 222 points or 227.786. Well, Taku Takumosato snuck up there in the end. He ran 63, he did 64 laps, and Dixon was his quickest on his first lap on his lap on his 63rd lap Takuma Sato hit 228.939 once they got rained out with weather they knew that so a lot of cars were kind of trying to go harder with, with practice that day get in all 33 ran um Takumo Sato was fastest in practice number four. That was Thursday. And then as we're recording today, it was fast Friday. This is where the teams get the boost. This is where we start to get a good idea of qualifying. And we're getting good ideas of the weather conditions. And we'll talk about that in a moment. There was an insane tailwind today. And Takumo Sato had... The fastest lap of 232.789. Teams were simulating their four-run qualifying averages. Um, they're simulating some things if they get into the fast 12 and into the top six or the fast six qualifying. But Rossi was second at 231. Pedo Award had a 231.789. Other notables, Scott Dixon, 231.53, and he only ran four laps. He only went out for a four-lap simulated run. Um, so did Palou, uh, Alex Palou. He was 12. Uh, Connor Daly ran 37 laps in practice, did 230.588, and broke a record in the turn three trap speed with that tailwind getting with and with the extra boost getting 244.4 miles per hour going into turn number three so yes IndyCars, that is insane we'll, we'll talk more about that uh when we go into the qualifying effort um other notables, Stefan Wilson, 226, 233. Colton Herta, um, 220.64. And kind of sitting back a little bit today, it sounds like. But that was Fast Friday. They will have a practice tomorrow. But, Elliot, let's talk about... Um, now we're up to date with practice. Let's talk about the changes in qualifying format. Sadly, we 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 don't we're not going to have any bumping this year. Thirty three cars, thirty three will make it. We were concerned about the thirty third entry coming together, but um, right things came together and we did get a thirty third entry. Qualifying Saturday, it's a full field qualifying. Positions 13 to 33 are set. So they um, have 
changed up qualifying a bit. Because there's 33 entries, there's not going to be any type of um, bumping. And according to the IndyCar website, um, on day one, um, I think so once so every car in the qualifying order is going to get a chance to qualify once they do that then then the then it becomes a more of a competition here it becomes strategy teams will have two lanes for the second and subsequent attempts cars in lane one and priority one will withdraw their time if the car has one, but gets priority access ahead of lane two. Lane two is for cars that already qualified but wish to improve your position. This is going to get interesting. The gun goes off at 5.50 p.m. Is the last, that's the latest a car has to actually be on the track, on the track. For Indy qualification. So with this said, um, once every car qualifies, if you if you're 33rd and you want to try to get into the top 12, because here's what happens. The top 12, the fastest 12 are going to qualify for Sunday for the first four rows. So if you want to try to get into the top 12, you're going to need to, you're going to probably want to be considering to withdraw your time. You may, especially if you're far in the back, because the worst you could do is be in the back. The best you could do is you could start improving. So we'll, we'll see how the strategy plays out, but it, it's going to be interesting who's going to improve and who want, who want to hold their um, own. Um, I It's on Peacock. I have Peacock. I'll admit, I I subscribe to it for the racing. Um, I'm probably gonna watch the replay of this um, because my day is my plate is pretty full tomorrow, so I'll probably catch the replay of this. But then we go into the the top twelve qualifying on Sunday. So after that, positions thirteen to thirty three will be set. We go into 4 to 6 p.m. on Sunday. Qualifications. Here we go. The order is based on Saturday times going to IndyCar.com. It's going to be slowest to fastest. Each entry is guaranteed one attempt. So what will, what will happen here is that um, you get one attempt to crack the top six. If you get the top six, you're going on to round two and you have a shot for the pole. With this said, they have changed the format up. Teams were concerned about cooldown and they were simulating this today and seeing the deltas in, in, in the engine temps and in time and how quick it takes to cool down. So, after the top six are after the top six are um, are determined for the Firestone Fast Six, there will be a break after the round of twelve. It'll include two laps behind 
the six cars will do two laps behind the Corvette Z, uh, Z6 70th anniversary edition pace car traveling at 100 miles per hour. The fan salute for the remaining six entries will also allow air to flow through the air ducts to help cool the engine before the dramatic qualifying laps for pole position. Before and after pace laps, two five-minute work windows will be allowed where teams can add or remove side-powered shutters, add fuel, adjust front rear wings, change uh, air pressure, change, uh, changing tires after the top 12 will only be allowed in work um, eight, uh, window intermediately prior to the first on fast sex. After they cool down one, one attempt, and we get our pulsar. We will, and it'll be slowest to fastest. So we will see what happens and who gets the pull in this strategy. So this is the new qualifying format. Now, like I said, amazing tailwinds this week, uh, today for, for practice. It tailwind, from what I'm hearing, is there's going to be a strong tailwind tomorrow. So what that what that means is that somebody is um there there's gonna be some fast bolts. Now we're we're not gonna get to the 237 that Ari Lion Doug set in 1997. Not gonna happen, people. Um you know, safety, you know, safety does prevail and you know with safety being a focus in IndyCar, um, that ridiculous speed is, is not going to happen. Um, but somebody going 240 down the back straight, yeah, that's going to happen tomorrow. So, Elliot, what I would like to know is your thoughts about the qualification and hearing about this strong tailwind and you, we were talking before we started recording tonight about a headwind on Sunday. Yeah, so this is just, um, I mean, it's, you know, typical springtime in, in the Midwest. Um, you know, if you if you don't like the, the way the weather is now, wait five minutes. Um, but um, so, yeah, today there was, um, you know, some really, really strong southerly winds. Um, according to um, DAP, um, they were measuring winds trackside uh, this afternoon at about 25 miles an hour. Um, and at one point, I think it was about 41 miles an hour um, this morning. And so it created some very, very challenging conditions for cars, certainly some very fast speeds, but um, speeds beyond what a lot of drivers were comfortable with. And as a matter of fact, um, Tony Kanan was quoted as saying, I've seen some tough conditions over the years, but it's usually on days when it doesn't really matter. If this was a Tuesday, you wouldn't see a single car on the track. So um, this was a day where, um, you know, drivers had to really balance um, the, the need to get a run in with the, with the additional boost on Fast Friday um, without stepping over that line um, and crashing the car. Um, yeah. so nobody wanted to do that. Jimmy Johnson came very close to doing that scrubbing the wall off of turn two today. 
Um, mm -hmm. But um, he was quoted I, in the same article as saying, um, just shake it off. I've hit plenty of things throughout my career in racing. Luckily, it wasn't a full yard sale. It was just crossing the line a little bit. And was, was there any quote of um, McLaughlin? Because he he was trying, the, the issue that they were having today was the talk about with, with these conditions, could they really try to run flat out? And the reason is, is that if you run flat out, your speeds are going to end up dropping the, the way the conditions have been. And, mm -hmm. and it just starts tailing off. And McLaughlin, a couple times, we think in practice, it looked like he was trying to do that. And coming off a two, not once, but twice, he had a, it, you could see it, you know, he got like a shimmy, like, like just a slight bobble in it. And yeah. it was, it was just, um, it, it was just me. It was like, he almost lost it. Yeah. It's extremely tough to do um, because when you have a really strong southerly wind like that, um, what it's doing is it's, reducing the amount of downforce that the car is generating at that speed. Okay. So you're coming off a of turn two um, and you have a ground speed of, you know, whatever it is, you know, 228, 230. But if you've got, um, you know, a, uh, if you're coming into a tailwind, that's, you know, 20 miles an hour, for example, then you're only getting the downforce of if you were running 210. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've yeah. got a real downforce deficit there um, coming off of the corner. And, you know, yeah, you know, in, in McLaughlin's case, you know, it, it can uh, reduce the rear downforce and your sideways or in the case of Jimmy Johnson, um, you know, the front gets away from you and you carry it up into the wall. Um, and on the flip side, this the um, when you're going into turn three, not only do you have all of that extra speed that, you know, the car is not, you know, really equipped to, to handle, um, you know, it's not set up for, um, but then when you get into the turn, then you're going from a tailwind back to a crosswind again, right? Because the wind, when you're, when it's a southerly wind, it's blowing across from inside to outside across that short shoot between three and four. And so when you're getting into three um, and you're going through three, then you're going from a tailwind to a crosswind, um, you know, all while, you know, you're achieving the fastest speeds on the track. So there's absolutely no way that I can see anybody going flat out through there. Um, yeah. And even, you know, uh, you were asking about a, a quote from McLaughlin. Um, mm -hmm. Well, in this Associated Press article, he says, nothing prepares you for going in turn three at 240. It's not very and, pleasant for anyone. Oh, uh, and it's, it, it definitely isn't. I mean, you're going because you've got to, you have to start figuring out where you're going to lift. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting tomorrow to yeah. see who who decide you know where to lift i think i think where they're gonna lift and when you lift um it's going to determine if you're going to be going for that fast sex because or, or you're going to make that top 12 
And I wouldn't be surprised if we see drivers um, either um, during this round of, during the qualifications, either um, withdraw their time or try to improve and say, yeah, I think I can try to improve with, you know, maybe I'll lift here instead of here or, or try this or that. You know, I, it, I know somebody might be daring to, to try withdraw, but we'll see what happens with that. Um, again, as I said, I think strategy is going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of mind games, a lot of strategy going on. Um, and oh, by the way, there's the weather again. Yeah. Um, so we are expecting, um, you know, looking at the weather forecast that it is expected that you're going to have some pretty robust southerly southwesterly winds again tomorrow. Um, but there's also going to be um, a more significant risk of wet weather and possibly severe weather. Um, in fact, according to the Storm Prediction Center, um, they've issued um, a level two risk of severe weather, what's called a slight risk. Um, across much of central Indiana tomorrow. And with that in mind, um, IndyCar has actually moved up the schedule for tomorrow. They're um, uh, starting practice uh, at 8.30 um, for group one. Group two is going to get out there at nine o'clock, finish up their practice at 9.30, and they're going to start qualifying at 11 o'clock instead of 12. Um, they're going to allow qualifying to finish at 5.50, but uh, they're moving up the, the start of qualifying so they can ensure that everybody gets a, a full run in um, with, you know, a, a wary eye to the sky tomorrow. Um, so, you know, we'll so, see in terms of wind, I think we'll see, you know, somewhat similar conditions. But then as we get into Sunday, um, there's going to be a cold front that's going to come through. Um, that is responsible for these, these strong winds that we're seeing. And so when that front comes through, you're going to see these southerly winds become northerly and northwesterly. And so that's going to be a whole different um, uh, set of conditions, track conditions as well um, for teams to contend with. And, you know, as we both know, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is one of the most weather sensitive circuits um, anywhere in the world. Um, and so uh, this will certainly be um, a very interesting situation for the teams to contend with going from um, qualifying on Saturday into um, the, uh, the final 12 here on Sunday. Uh, certainly be interesting to see. And, and with that said, um, I, I now think I don't, my, my hunch will be there's a lot of people who aren't going to choose lane one. They're going to take lane two to say, okay, let's see if we can improve. Let's see if we can improve. Because the question is, you don't want to be the one who decides to withdraw your time and goes for it, decides to back it off, scrub off the run, and all of a sudden, what weather comes through, and there you go. There's no, you know, you're starting dead last, and it's going to say no time. So um, I, I now think that more and more that there's going to be people trying to improve their time and 
try it that way and say, let's improve it. Let's work on where the winds are, um, work with what we got. Um, and some drivers might just turn around. Some teams might turn around maybe like a Foyt or um, a Stefan Wilson, you know, says, you know what? Okay. I'm, you know, I'm 20 of something. I'm not going to go risk it. We're, we're fine. <laughs> you know, leave it as is, you know, not going with, you know, I mean, with Will, Wilson's car, that's uh, Tatiana Calderon's road course car. That's borrowed from Foyt Racing. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it'll be very interesting to say, but we got a few more minutes, Elliot. And last year we, we talked about it. Um, we made our predictions for Indy. We got 33 cars. Who do you think will win the Indy 500? Well, um, it's hard to overlook um, Takuma Sato right now. Um, when you look at all the different practice sessions that have been run thus far, he's consistently at the top of the board. Um, and, you know, him winning in, I believe it was 2020. Um, so he's a, a multi-time winner of this race. He knows how to get it done here. Um, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, all the different conditions that, they, that they've been dealing with. Um, and, you know, doesn't matter what the circumstances are, he's always at the top of the board. Um, so I think he's one that is, you have to pay attention to him. I think he's going to be one of the favorites and whoever's going to win is probably going to have to go through him. Uh, that said, um, you know, Dixon's always fast here, um, you know, and, and award is doing well. Uh, David Malukas is doing some, some big work here too. So he could be kind of a dark horse, um, for, for this event. Um, you know, Jimmy Johnson, to me, I think if he finishes top 10 here, that's going to be a great day for him. Um, and then, you know, obviously Castro Neves, the drive for five, um, you know, and, and, Certainly he's going to be, um, you know, a sentimental favorite for, for a lot of people. Um, thus far, he doesn't look like he's, he's showing a lot of speed, but um, at the same time, you know, the, the objective of the, of events thus far just seems to be survive, survive the weather. Um, so, you know, let's, let's see where things kind of come out here after, um, uh, after qualifying is said and done. It's important for him to have a, a really good qualifying run, but um, what things look like, you know, on, on carb day and, um, you know, any other practices they have for the race itself, that's, that's going to be pretty telling. But that said, I think uh, Sato um, and then maybe Malukas, uh, those, those two look pretty strong. Yeah. And I think um, I could see, you know, a McLaughlin wing this year. I, I will put my, you know, I agree with you with Sato, but I just, I, I don't know the past few Indy 500s, the person who's been fastest to practice and has dominated practice hasn't always gone on to win it. So I think, you know, I, you know, I would love to see Sato become a part of the three-time winners club. He could, you know, he could, you know, if he does it this year, 
I could see him trying to become the member of the four-time winners club. Um, so, you know, I think um, Sato would be interesting. I'm going to also say Colton Herta. He, you know, he ran well on the road course. If he does well, he could be in contention for it. Um, do the, do the sweep, um, indie sweep um, in May, the Grand Prix and the 500. Don't count Dixon. And, um, and, you know, Grosjean wanted to beat down the fence today with, with, with some of the, um, or the other, yeah. Um, I think today was some of the practice they, they were trying to do or the other day. So um, look at Grosjean, you know, McLaughlin, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I could see any one of those guys winning it this year. And Castro Neves, I could be his year to, to do five, but um yeah. You certainly we'll, we'll never have, know. I mean, I was yeah, selling we'll, the heck out of him last year, and look, look what happened. So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we all mispicked, and we're like, ah, oh, no, 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 what does he do? So, yep. Let let let's see where he qualifies first. Definitely. Um, so, speaking of that, we're going we're going to um, uh, qualify a break here real quick, and then on the other side, um, we have some uh, some quick thoughts in our green segment about Kyle Busch's situation, and then some final thoughts. All that on the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green. The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Are you looking for that competitive edge for your business or event? Samurai Graphics can design your logo, business cards, letterhead invitation and flyers for your business or event. Samurai Graphics accepts different forms of payments and will give you that competitive edge you need. Contact Samurai Graphics on Facebook or at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business solution. Now back to the From Checkered to Green podcast. Thank you, David. Our green segment tonight focuses on the situation surrounding Kyle Busch, one of the most successful uh, NASCAR racers um, in the modern era and currently the most accomplished racer on the circuit today. Um, He is without um, a sponsor in 2023. And if memory serves, he is also without a contract for 2023 as well. Um, and so there's certainly a lot of intrigue about um, his situation there um, and some of his, uh, his behavior, um, which he's kind of known for as well, um, has also added to some of the storylines, not only um, with some of the statements he's made about um, how he feels about the current situation, but then um, also things uh, on track, like what happened at Darlington, um, where he got out of the car and there was some debate about whether or not he could have driven it back to the garage or not um, following his uh, his on-track uh, collision with Brad Keselowski. Um, but um, David, what do you think? Um, it's, it's certainly really, um, I guess, weird that um, Kyle Busch 
doesn't have a, um, a everything well in hand uh, for 2023 and that it seems as though um, they're not able to um, you know offer him a contract um, you know or, or uh, find sponsorship or anything that um, will keep him in a, a, a Joe Gibbs and or a Toyota ride next year. It's, I mean, well, it, it, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, Dover weekend um, and when they had rained out on Sunday, when they had to stop the race and they couldn't continue, um, Claire B. Lang, I was listening to Sirius XM, she had replayed her interview she did in the media center the day before. And she kind of called him out on some things. And, and Clary Lang's really good. If you, you know, anyone's listened to her, you know she will get to the bottom of things. And, and she's pretty, you know, she does her research pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I respect her quite a bit. Um, I did get to actually get to see her in Watkins Glen a few years ago at the NASCAR race. Um, her going into practice and that they are, you know, going in through the gate. And that was pretty cool. You know, seeing, seeing a, a noble person like her at a racetrack. Um, but yeah, she, she questioned him on things and, you know, the way she got and the way he responded, it really sounded like he doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, it sounds like he's kind of in a, a, a corner here. And then the, the president of Toyota racing efforts operations going on weeks later on Sirius XM NASCAR radio because of the, what his comments and things he has said and saying how displeased he is with him. So I think I, I hate to say it being 13 wins into 13 races into the season. Um, I don't, I, I think winning at Bristol would have probably gotten him a new contract and gotten a new sponsor, but you know, we brought up on the podcast, it's what he said after how he has said things, how he has acted. Um, and, and I, I don't know if um, the way that, um, you know, I don't know if his personal life and them having issues trying to have a second child and having to do um, the, the, the surrogate mother and... Um, going that route I don't know if that's been playing into you know some added stress but the the way he's been acting lately it's you know traffic got his brother fired from Penske for acting like that I mean, to some extent, but at the same time, I, I'd kind of disagree because I don't think it's any different really um, than what we've seen out of Kyle Busch in the past. And yeah, you know, he said some things that, um, 
you know, has, have been frowned upon, or, you know, at one point he had to go and, and do some sensitivity training. Um, but at the same time, it's not anything that, you know, has risen to the level of like what happened at Texas in 2011 in the truck race. Um, it's just, you know, him just kind of popping off maybe, you know, a proverbial pressure release valve, if you will. I think there's other but things at play um, and things that are at play that are much larger than him and probably much larger than Joe Gibbs or even Toyota. Um, mm-hmm. I was listening to um, Daniel Trotta and Corey LaJoy a couple of weeks ago on Sirius XM, and they noted that there's a new contract, a new TV contract, I think, that's um, expected for 2024 and beyond. And there's some word that maybe the way some of the, the financials are arranged and um, mm-hmm. who gets a piece of what, um, some of those numbers are going to change a fair bit. Um, and so I think there's um, a lot of kind of waiting and seeing on, as to what the specifics of those are going to be. And if um, new contracts can be uh, can be kind of deferred until after that has come out. So that way there's kind of a reset economically of um, how the sport is, is, is run. Now, obviously that doesn't bode well for Kyle Busch's situation because he needs something for next year and he needs a sponsor for next year. So there's that. And then there's also the little matter of, you know, the way that the economy has gone lately here. Um, you know, there have been a number of, uh, you know, really bad earnings reports here from some really, really big name companies, Target and Walmart come to mind. Um, and, you know, the, the broader stock market has not done well. As a matter of fact, you know, we're recording on Friday, May 20th, and uh, I believe it was the S&P was um, flirting with bear market territory today. So, um, you know, that may also factor into whether or not a company is willing to, um, you know, shell out millions of dollars to be on the side of a race car. You know, it's no different than uh, what we saw in 2009, 2010. Um, and so, you know, we'll have to see where this leads. But um, I think those, those factors too um, may be contributing as much, if not more so, uh, to the current situation than uh, anything that Kyle Busch may um, be contributing to as well. Yeah, I mean it. I I mean we'll we'll see what happens with that, but it could also be a point that, I mean Gibbs maybe, you know, I I hate to say it, but Ty Gibbs is, um, coming is in the Xfinity series. Yeah, if yeah, he he's certainly waiting in the wings. He, sure. Well, well, he is waiting. He is waiting in the wings, and he's sponsored by Monster. Now, mm-hmm. I know Monster's got a, a, a tie with Kyle Busch, but mm-hmm. Kyle also has his own energy drink. So, mm-hmm. I just, I mean, you, you have to remember. So let let's kind of um, throw it back a little bit before we we jumped to final thoughts. You've heard the story, and and our listeners may not have. Heard is Dale Earnhardt and Junior Johnson. Um, So when Dale was leaving Bud Moore racing, he was looking for a ride. I think it was Bud Moore. Um, And 
he wanted to go drive for Junior Johnson. And Junior had a contract with Coors. And, you know, and, and Wrangler was going to come over and, um, you know, you know, Dale had the Wrangler, you know, in, in his back pocket. Wrangler was there. Um, and they were going to have a um, have a car and we were going to have, you know, and, and Johnson was going to have coolers. Well, um, you know, I have a second car. You know, and so and I think they had like you know and and somehow Budweiser came along and, and wanted to deal. Well, Coors wanted Dale Earnhardt. Um, well, Budweiser wanted Daryl Waltrip. So that's kind of where Daryl Waltrip went to. And so what Junior said, you know, I got this deal and everything. You know, we got Dale. He goes so. Dale put him and said, you know, he's got Wrangler. Okay. He's going to, you know, we'll go with Richard Childress. Okay, fine. Well, what happened in Coors? Well, Coors, Junior Johnson said, hey, Bill, he, he, he gave it to Melly in, in Bill Elliott and Coors. He had this contract already. He goes here. He told Coors, well, I'll give you this driver. So it could very well be that you know, maybe Monster wants to help sponsor a Gibbs car, but maybe they want Ty Gibbs. And that may be because of Kyle Busch. So I I think they're going to have to find a sponsor um, to secure it down. But I would also not be surprised by the end of the year that Ty Gibbs is taking over the number 18. That would be a really shocking development to me if that happened. Um, Ty Gibbs is a, is a really talented driver, yeah, but he is by no means ready for the prime time yet. Um, but you know, he's what 19 years old, I think. Um, he needs, I think, at least another season, if not two, in the Xfinity car. Let, run a couple of of you know uh, of Cup races, you know, like a fifth car or whatever. That's fine. But can't. But can't Gibbs say, okay, I have, you know, with, with the cost of the cars and, and the way in, inflation is bad and, and suppliers, couldn't he say next year, okay, I'm sorry, Kyle, but I'm going to have to make the 18 part-time one due to sponsorship. And then he can put, he can put Gibbs in there. He could turn to Kyle and say, Kyle, listen, we may have to split this ride up, you know, just to get a sponsorship or, or something. It, you know, it's, I, I hate to say it, but I think Kyle hasn't done himself some favors to get a new sponsor. I mean, Mars pulled out. So that's, I mean, I mean, and they just completely packed up and pulled out of the sport. Yeah. So. Um, and, and without the whole, you know, with, with the laws, with the whole um, alcohol and tobacco and, you know, I just think Kyle's, I, I would be pretty, so I, I'm going to take a bet Kyle is not back with Gibbs next year. I think a miracle would need to happen. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, there's, yep. there's a lot of, of 
stuff to play out with this and you know we'll just have to see where things go yeah um but uh speaking of going it's time to go into our final thoughts um and david if you want to start off with yours yeah so my final thought is going to play on the the next gen car and we're 13 races into the regular season as we record tonight and we already have 11 different winners this year this is amazing this is um really good um and it's a wide diversity of winners and i think this i think this year's going to be the year that um it's going to be we're going to see 16 different winners before the uh um uh, the playoffs, and I think it's going to come down this year to it's, you know, either we're going to be 16 exactly and someone's going to need to try to race in and beat somebody out, or we're going to have more than 16 and it's going to be um, last one standing to get it. So that's my final thought. So I've got a couple of different final thoughts here and both of them center around NASCAR and, um, you know, what we're expecting to see here in uh, the coming weeks, starting with this weekend at Texas. Um, you know, we came off a weekend at Kansas where um, there were a lot of problems with left rear tires uh, going flat and um, also, you know, still some ongoing issues with the single lugs. We're going into a 600 mile race, um, you know, this, this next weekend after the all-star this weekend. Um, and so it'll be very interesting to me to see, um, you know, if we're, if the, the teams are able to resolve some of these issues that are still ongoing 13 races into the season, um, with single lugs and being able to, you know, properly tighten them and, you know, not have a, a, a wheel fall off in the middle of the race. Um, you know, that's going to be, um, you know, especially critical at a, a place like Charlotte where, you know, speeds are really, really high, um, you know, for safety first and foremost, and especially, you know, given some tragic events that have happened at Charlotte Motor Speedway, um, you know, with the, the Indy Racing League. Um, so that's going to be a very important thing. Um, the other thing is how well the left rear tires are going to hold up. Um, and I think we'll see some of that this coming weekend at Texas. I think that'll be pretty telling. Um, people are making a fair bit uh, out of uh, the all-star race this coming weekend at Texas as well. How well the, the uh, Gen 7 car is going to do there, given how racy it was at Kansas. It was a really good race at Kansas. Um, I saw it today that the application of the PJ1 right after they did the uh, the redesign and the repave um, has now actually cost um, that lane, that upper lane grip um, to the tune of about 10% is what I read on Twitter today. Um, I believe from Bob Pachris, uh, my source is right. Um, so we've talked here in recent episodes about Texas Motor Speedway and some of the issues that they're being confronted with. And um, I think this is a, a pretty serious one in terms of being able to, to put on a good race. Um, so I think at the very least, what we're probably going to see coming up here 
is another repave um, at the very least of that upper lane to where we can get rid of the PJ1. Um, and, you know, I think just as a brief aside to that, um, you know, when you're needing to alter the racetrack in that way with the PJ1 or resin or anything else, um, then I think that speaks to a problem with the race car and maybe not necessarily the race track. Um, and we're certainly seeing that lesson bearing out at Texas right now. And hopefully for them, better days ahead. That is, that is a very good thought. <laughs> yep. So with that, um, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Um, this is episode number 38, Elliot Tardif, um, saying thank you very much. And we'll catch you um, on episode number 39 very soon. I'm David Mai. Thank you for listening. This is from the Checker to Green podcast.